0: I saw several of you flipping through your pages, like, where's he reading from? Uh, The soundboard had an issue, and we had to reboot the soundboard. So if you didn't hear what Jason said at the beginning, uh, we're returning to the passage of Scripture, which we looked at last week. But this incident is spoken of by three of the gospel writers, and so I wanted you to hear all of it. And so what we did was wove into one story three gospel accounts in order to cover everything. That's why you couldn't find it in your pages. Your, what, what is he reading? So Matthew uh, chapter 8. If you just want to go there with me, hold your Bible open to the very end of that passage. we will That's where we're we're basing um, the consideration out of. But we're returning to this confrontation of Jesus with these two demon-possessed men on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, on the shore of the country of the Gadarenes. Um, Last week, the point of that passage, I I tried to argue, is the power and authority and identity of Jesus. Jesus. This is not particularly a passage about drawing attention to, G- to uh, demons, but this is a passage about drawing attention to Jesus. It's not to stimulate curiosity about the supernatural primarily, but it's to stimulate your curiosity about who Jesus is. That's the question that the disciples asked in the boat just before they got there as they were going through the storm. When Jesus calmed the Category 5 hurricane that they were going through just before they arrived at the shore, when he calmed the sea and that storm stopped, the question from the disciples was, who is this guy? That's what we're left with. And then when they arrive at the shore of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus steps out of the boat, two demon-possessed men approach and answer the question. And they say to him, who are you, O Son of God? What have you to do with us? Have you come here to torment us? It's about Jesus. So this this passage is about Jesus, and yet, we've got that. I I hope you see that. The power and the authority and the identity of Jesus is the central issue. Last week, we strove to to make sure that was abundantly clear. And so our attention is on him because these demons, this demon-possessed man, All of the the demonic activity that rushed forward to to face Jesus, they they knelt before him. They bowed down in his presence. And, And the point is to show you that a herd of demons cowers in the presence of Jesus. We ought not to be fascinated with the power of the demonic. What you ought to be overwhelmed by is the power of Jesus. That's the point. And nevertheless, there is something that we can learn by understanding what is being told to us about the demonic realm. So when I got home last Sunday, I asked my sons, which is customary, the poor boys living with the pastor, it's awful, but I, what was the point? I try to do that occasionally to make sure I'm actually communicating what I'm hoping to communicate. And so I asked them, what was the point? They got it. This is, this is about the authority of Jesus. Jesus. And as we began talking, though, it it struck up a conversation um, that I I shared in the middle of the sermon last Sunday as I was preaching. Someone watching online messaged me and said, I'm being attacked by the enemy right now. We started talking about withstanding attacks by the enemy with my sons. And I said, you know, I've been provoked since I got that message that perhaps it would be wise for us to think about how do we withstand the attacks of the enemy? How do we understand uh, the nature of our enemy so that we can stand up under attack and under temptation? And my son said, I think that would be great, Dad. That was Sunday. Monday, I got a call from someone who told me that they think that they might be struggling with a, a demon. Uh, that was Monday. Tuesday, I had two meetings with two people that the conversation came up without me bringing it up, totally independent of me. And of course, by now, I'm like, why of every day am I running into this topic? And then Wednesday morning, I sat with a man and had a, a little Bible study, and he told me that one of his, the son of one of his coworkers, he's pretty sure, is possessed by a demon. And so every day... And then I'm hearing this, and then I went into an elders meeting, and we sat, and I said, brothers, here's what I'm facing. And so, should we spend a little more time thinking about the enemy this Sunday, and not move forward in our series through Matthew? And they agreed. We prayed as elders. Lord, is this what you want us to do? We concluded it was. And so, that's what we're going to focus on today. I think the answer is, why would we do this? It's A, to fortify you in the attack of the enemy. And it's possibly, I think, to expose the work of the enemy because he's probably at work in some of your lives. Now, he's at work in the sound system. <laughs> so it, it's real, and that's the first point. We need to, to know about demons. We need to understand Uh, there is a reality that there is a spiritual world that we struggle against. And so how do we struggle intelligently? So the first thing, what do we need to know about demons? I'm going to go through a lot of scripture today. Um, I I think I have to, I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. I will happily share um, these verses with you if you're interested but there's some things that we need to get before us. And so the first thing to know when we think about demons, what do we need to know about, about demons is that they are fallen angels and Satan is the chief among them, right? Jesus said in Matthew 25, um, when he's talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats, he says, uh, "...depart into everlasting fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels." Right, Demons are fallen angels who once enjoyed sweet communion with the Lord, but in rebellion de- denied him and chose to exalt Satan and follow him, who they were then kicked out of heaven and cast down to earth, and so put under chains of gloomy darkness, condemned until the last day. So demons are fallen angels, and demons are real. Demons are real. This passage that we see, Jesus confronts them. Jesus talks to them, has a conversation. He commands them, and they obey. And so demons are real. But we have to avoid a couple of extremes. Number one is thinking that they don't exist. We have to avoid that. And number two is thinking that they everywhere exist, like in sound systems. I don't know if the demon was in a sound system. It wouldn't surprise me that the enemy would want to keep us from hearing and would want to distract. doesn't surprise me. I have no idea. But is there a way in which we can balance this extreme? So I think God wants us to know, you have a real enemy. Jesus faced a real enemy. We see demonic activity from the beginning of the book of Genesis to the end of Revelation, Demons are everywhere present. Satan is there throughout it all. We're somewhere in the middle from the beginning to the end, and so that assumes they're real and active, and so what do we need to know? And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces that we are up against. So Paul says that. He's writing this to Ephesian Christians. He's saying, you have real spiritual enemies. I think we need to know that. And also, we need to be reminded that demons are present in places that we might not expect. Demons are present in places we might not expect. Where do I get this? One example. I'm just going to give you one example. When Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he told the disciples, when I get there, I'm going to be beaten and attacked and rejected by the leaders. I will be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. And Peter said, nope, not going to happen. He did it in private. He pulled him aside. Jesus, it's, it's not going to happen. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. And I'm thinking, isn't that a little harsh? I mean, Jesus, he's just a loyal friend. He's just trying to help you. But what is Jesus showing us? Behind the words is the influence of the enemy. He's real. And so, warning Let us take that as an admonition to say, hmm, demons might be present where I might not see them, where I might just see a nice friend wanting to be helpful and say something positive. The enemy is there at work. Secondly, demons are not everywhere. So they are somewhere, they are in some places, but they are not everywhere present. Right? You, you bump into people who sometimes see a demon behind every tree and under every rock, and you, you're casting out the spirit of this and the spirit of that. I mean, when, when you bump up to disagreement, the Bible doesn't tell us, cast out the spirit of disagreement. Or, or when we're in, in trouble, you don't cast out the spirit of trouble. Just, just agree in the Lord and obey. So we have to be careful about talking about this, and yet, um, what we see is there is a, a demonic influence in this world. We also see we can't blame them for all of our sin. Right? The Bible doesn't allow us to blame uh, the devil or Satan or any of the demons upon our sinfulness. We are responsible for our sin. So if James chapter 1, 14 and 15 says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So who's at fault there? You are. Me. I am. Our own desires. That's where we go wrong is in allowing our desires to go unchecked. We, we, we desire things in the beginning. That's not wrong. Take food. We love food. The desire for food, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I'm looking forward to lunch. And yet, if food becomes a dominant thing in our lives and we get into the sin of gluttony, right? The, the, everything Satan does is to, to corrupt what is good. And so we, if we allow our desires to move forward unchecked, Then we run into trouble. So we cannot allow uh, the blame in our minds. Flip Wilson, years ago, nobody knows what Flip Wilson is or who he is, right? The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He might have helped you along, but he didn't make you do it. We did it because we want to. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have to take captive our thoughts, every thought, to the obedience of Christ. I mean, you don't let your mind run unchecked because desires can go to sinful places. Good desires can quickly go to sinful places. And you all can imagine what we're talking about. Unrestrained sinful desires and imagination result in uncontrolled and sinful deeds. Right? Jesus, what did he say? He didn't say, stay away from demons because they'll make you sin. He said, out of your own heart flows wicked imaginations and murder and thoughts and adultery and slander and all kinds of other foolishness, right? Out of our own hearts, everything that fills our own hearts is what causes us to do what we want to do. It's our own desires that run unchecked. So third, patterns of sin give some sort of foothold to demonic activity, Patterns of sin give some sort of foothold to demonic activity. We need to know this. Where do I get it? Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do you see that? Unchecked anger is not a sin to be angry, right? God, God is angry about things, But he's not sinfully angry. If we have anger in our hearts and we don't handle it rightly, it can easily go to a a bad place, a sinful place, a bitter place, a malicious place. And so don't do that. Don't harbor your anger. Because it can go into a place of sin. And he says, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't do let the, do not let the sun go down in your anger or give opportunity to the devil. That gives the devil a, a base of operations. Aha! you're going to hang on to that anger. That's right. Yeah. Let me help you with that. Think about all the things that they did. They didn't treat you right. They did not respect you for who you are. They didn't see your worth, etc., etc. You get the point. There's a base of operations. There is an opportunity where sin is present in the life of a Christian. It is a basis of attack. And we need to know that. When we submit ourselves to sin, we are in some way welcoming the devil in. When you submit to sin, you are in some way welcoming the devil in. And so that's why the Apostle Paul tells us, put on your armor, right? You are in a spiritual battle, so put on your armor. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 is that whole paragraph. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. An incredible word, schemes, plotting, plotting planning, thoughtful manipulation, conscious, just kind of destructive behavior of how can I get in and ruin their lives and prevent their faith, keep them from walking with the Lord. And, and what does Paul say is the first piece of armor to put on, he says, the breastplate of righteousness, right? A righteous living is like spiritual Kevlar against the attack of the enemy. And so obedience, that's why put away sinfulness. If you maintain sinful patterns of behavior, you are subjecting yourself to attack. You are, you are welcoming attack. So live righteously is what we need to know and be on guard against because what did Jesus, who never sinned, what did he say about Satan? He has no claim on me. No claim. No ground. No opportunity of attack. Right, so righteous living is our call. And 1 John 5.18 says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Christian, if you're a Christian, you cannot be comfortable with sin in your life. You cannot. We can never be at home with any sin. No matter what the world tells you, And the world will tell you, embrace it. Made that way. Whatever, outbursts of anger, "Eh, I just have a bad temper. It's actually sinful. Outbursts of anger, sinful. Lying, falsehood, that's sinful. You cannot get comfortable with lying. 10,000 other other sins that the world says it's just, it's okay. The Bible says, put it off and put on righteousness. That is why we must fight. We must fight against the sinful tendencies of our own fleshly body in order to yearn for holiness. And we just don't fight. I think we don't fight sin. We give in in 15 seconds. We we do. We are the, I think, weakest people on the planet. And and where is the, the holy fighting against sin? When's the last time you broke a sweat trying to avoid temptation? When? Here's Jesus calling us. We need to know we've got enemies who are trying to destroy your life by causing you to get into patterns of sin. So what does Peter say? First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Right, we don't want to talk about warfare but we have to, folks we have to occasionally talk about the kind of war that's going on because abstaining from sinful passions is like putting on spiritual armor while indulging them is running defenseless into a war. So the next thing we need to know about demonic activity is it can be recognized. Demonic activity can be recognized. In this passage that we have been reading and considering together, I look at a handful of things that I see. First... There is a tendency toward isolation. Demonic activity. This does not mean if you want to get away from the world on a three-day retreat, that's, that's demonic activity. It's not what I'm talking about. But what do we see? These men, the demons, drove them. Where were they living? They were living in a graveyard. Isolated. Cut off from everybody. In Luke 8.29, uh, Luke tells us they were driven by the demon into the desert. You remember, where did Jesus go for 40 days to endure the onslaught of temptation from the enemy? It wasn't downtown. It was alone in the wilderness. And so we see this, this drive of isolation. And doesn't that make sense, right? The enemy, you've heard probably, just, just get alone. Just go Just go off. Just be alone. Nobody, nobody's going to miss you when you're gone. Just Just get alone. So consider the fact that almost no one commits suicide in public. Always happens alone. Right? This, this demonic activity driving these two men into this desert place, living in the tombs, driving them away from people. So this, this tendency toward isolation. Second, I see here a tendency toward excessive violence. These men were incredibly violent. Uh, outbursts of anger, shrieks of, of uh, shouting out. They were so fierce, breaking chains. Uh, night and day, they were crying out with a loud voice is what both Mark, Luke, and Matthew all say. This, this loud, violent behavior, they erupted in, in anger such that no one could even pass by them. No one would even go near where these men live. So this, this tendency toward eruptions of anger Third, supernatural strength. These men exhibited supernatural strength. They broke chains, they broke apart shackles. Uh, So, demonic presence gives gives incredible physical strength. We saw this in Acts chapter 19 as another example when seven sons of a Jewish high priest tried to cast out a demon from the man, and they got kicked out of the house, wounded and naked. They left. Fourth, demonic activity is exhibited in destructive self behavior, self destructive behavior. Where did I get that? Mark 5 and, and, and also in and 9. Night and day, these guys were cutting themselves with stones. Always cutting themselves. And then often on another occasion, another demon who controlled a little boy uh, would cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. A self-destructive behavior. You ever get amazed with this incredible, I know this is bad, but I'm doing this? You believe this lie that you have no choice? Right? So this, this destructive behavior, cutting yourself, throwing in hurtful situations, that's the fourth thing. Fifth, I see here a tendency towards sexual immorality. Right? This passage in Luke 8 tells us that for a long time, these men had worn no clothes. Nakedness. Had no sexual inhibitions. They don't care. They just run around naked for a long period of time. And Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2, makes a connection between the teaching of Satan and those who teach sexual immorality. Jesus makes that connection in, in Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 to 24. Those are the teaching of Satan and those who practice sexual immorality. So, behind anyone who would say or teach that what is sexual sin is not sexual sin, and you should practice it and give in, there's the doctrine of demons in the background, is what I think that is saying. Uh, six, there is a tendency to strongly oppose the gospel. A tendency to strongly oppose the gospel. We see this a couple of places... Right when, when, when Jesus arrived, there was this sense of opposition, and yet there was this humble bowing before them. When Paul went to Philippi to preach the gospel, there was a demon-possessed girl who kept shouting behind them and interrupting everything they were doing. Paul turned and, and cast that, that demon out. And so he also, at Corinth, faced false teachers who were saying they were believers. And Paul says they were actually servants of Satan. He, he recognized them for who they were. So opposing the gospel. They were twisting the truth. And he says behind that is demonic activity. Uh, seventh, there, I think this is not in the scripture. But there is an inward sense. It's my experience here. An inward sense of being in the presence of evil. You, you can, Christians who have the Holy Spirit within us. Can and sense when we are in the presence of evil. Never will forget, I used to be in college ministry, I was visiting some students, knocking on a door, came to the dorm room, I knocked on the door, incredibly loud music, I don't know how they even heard the knocking, and finally I hear this, come in, and I opened the door, and I had that sense, instantly. I knew, something evil is in this room. And when I looked on the wall, and there's porn all over the wall, I, I, I understood. So we as Christians have a sense of being in the presence of evil. And doesn't Paul say that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is discerning the spirits, right? So um, we need to test the spirits. Uh, 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God or not, right? We have this sense. And then finally, last pointer on demonic activity, sudden episodes of unexplained or irrational behavior. Sudden episodes of unexplained or irrational behavior. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he met a man who had a little child who had been plagued by a demon since, since he was very young. And he said this. He says the demon sometimes seizes him, throws him to the ground, he grinds his teeth, he becomes rigid, and at other times he convulses the boy, rolling about, foaming at the mouth. There's no reason for any of that. It's just sudden seizing of a person and then doing unexplained and irrational things. So those are some hints of how we might discern whether or not we're in the presence of demonic activity. So question, what should we do? What should we do when we find ourselves in the presence of demonic activity? First, understand that all Christians have authority over demons. Understand all Christians have authority over demons. Jesus, when he gave the the 12 apostles authority to cast out demons, it didn't stop with them. That was the beginning of the coming of the kingdom. Those weren't 12 super Christians that were really, really special, and so those guys can cast out demons. What we see, Jesus then also gave 70 other people the authority to cast out demons, and they did it. And this was the beginning of the coming of the kingdom, is the pushing out of the kingdom of darkness. And so Philip, who was an evangelist in chapter 8 of Acts, He's an unknown little evangelist guy. He goes to Samaria. And what we find is he too is casting out demons. And if you're still not convinced by that, think about what James says to all Christians. James 4, 7. You know this verse, but I'll read it to you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. What? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's writing to all Christians, not... Some specific select group of super apostles. He's writing to average Joe Christians like me and you. And we, he's saying, resist the devil, submit to God. That's the first part. Submit to him. Resist the devil and the chief demon will take off. How many of you actually believe that? How many of us actually believe that that is true? Submitting to God. We got to get that first. Submitting to him and then resisting. There's where we fail, I think. We don't resist. Submit, let's submit and then resist. And the devil will flee. So understand all Christians have authority over demons. Second, understand that the cross dealt a fatal blow to demonic power. The cross dealt a fatal blow to demonic power. Hebrews 2.14 says, Jesus became human. He took on flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of the death, which is the devil. Jesus became human to enter in and do what no human being could ever do and destroy the devil. Question, was he successful? Did he do it? Did anything objective happen at Calvary? In Jesus' death, toning death and resurrection. Seems like the Bible has the opinion that something massively significant and objective happened. Colossians 2.15 says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. He defeated them. He disarmed them. Satan is, is he's a, Peter says, like a lion roaring for someone to devour. But in my imagination, he's got no teeth. Yes, lot, remember, you read Pilgrim's Progress. Remember Pilgrim, when he comes and there's this loud roaring that he has to fight against and he realizes the thing is on a chain. It's no problem. Stay in the center. The, the attack won't happen. Right? So he's, demons are disarmed. And also, 1 John 3.8 eight. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Did he do it? Did it happen? Do we believe that it happened? Right. Revelation 12.10. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority, which is what this passage is all about, The authority of His Christ have come, and the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He's done. And the next verse says, And they conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Right, Our conquering of him from our testimony, our trust in Jesus, the application of salvation. And we're talking to Christians here who then by the word of their power and their testimony speak wonders of Jesus' changing lives, which is what this man did. He said, Jesus, can I go with you? Jesus delivered this man of all of these demons and he says, can I go hang out with you? And we all say, yeah, I want to go too. And Jesus, No. I want you to go home and tell your people, tell your family all that God has done. Go bear testimony. Go speak on my behalf. And that man does it. So, a decisive, fatal blow has been dealt to Satan at the cross. Next, understand there is no need to fear demons. There is no need to fear demons. Because demons fear Jesus And where is the spirit of Jesus? If you're a Christian, he's in you. 1 John 4, 4. Little children. I love that. Sometimes I feel like that. I'm just a little child. Little children, you are from God. Christian, you are from God. Right? And you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he is in the world not rest in this? You don't need to be afraid of demons. They're terrified of the spirit of Christ in you. Terrified. He who is in this world, Satan, all of his demons, terrified of the one who is in you. Don't fear demons. And so Paul reminds us in all circumstances, Ephesians 6.16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. It was Paul saying, believe this. Believe that the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of Christ Jesus, He is the same as the Holy Spirit. Just a different way of talking about. It. He dwells within his people. So believe that. Take up the shield of faith. And with it you can extinguish all of the fiery darts of the evil one. Not some of them. All of them. He doesn't say you might. He says you can. If you take up faith, you can extinguish all of the fiery darts of the evil one. So take up the armor, Christians. Next, speak to the demon in the name of Jesus and command it to leave. Right? What do we do when we find ourselves in the presence of demonic activity? What does Jesus do? He speaks calmly, quietly. He didn't shout. Jump, do gymnastics. He just he spoke, and then the demons fled. So here's a biblical example. Paul says this to the, in Acts chapter 16. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Speaking to the little girl who had a demon. I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. He spoke to the demon. He commanded in the name of Jesus, and the demon left. Sometimes that might be enough. Sometimes we might need to quote a scripture in these instances. Speak the truth. right? What is the Bible? It is the sword of the Lord. It is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon in that entire list in Ephesians 6 of the armor of God. The sword, the word of God, having it memorized in our head, it's the only offensive weapon. And so take it up. Pray the word of God in these kind of instances. And such a command can be given by someone else praying for you or you praying for you. Do you find yourself in a a situation when you're confronting a a demonic activity? You're the one struggling? Pray that. Just say, I I command you in the name of Jesus, leave. Go away from me. I resist you in the name of Jesus. And I remind you again of James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so question, is this real? Am I making all, all this up? Should we, should we do anything about this? Should any change happen? Are we really going to bump into demonic forces? Aren't they for like third world countries? No. i want I, to share three examples with you. I have permission to share them all three. I'm going to leave them unnamed, but I want to tell you what happened. Oh, over the summer, you know, there's about seven weddings. It was an incredible summer. One of the young men told me a story Talking with his mom, and she asked, What are you most excited about in getting married, and what are you most afraid of? I'll leave out the most excited part, but the answer to the question of what are you most afraid of was that my sexual sin will follow me into my marriage, and that my struggle with porn and masturbation will destroy my marriage. And mom said, Well, why don't we pray about that? And so they began praying. And following the example that we see here, mom said, why don't you name that? Confess it out loud. Name it. And this young man did. And he said, in that moment, something happened. I I felt a release. I felt a deliverance. I felt a new kind of freedom. And the fear of my sin following me into my marriage vanished. In the name of Jesus. Second, a young man reported to me that from childhood, a struggle would often happen to him in writing reports, doing homework, thinking intently, trying to be a good student. There would be moments of, for lack of a better term, writer's block on steroids, that, that spiraled downward into this mental twisting of not being able to think clearly and not being able to write, which then led to an incredible sense of frustration and then rage and fury and this frustration wanting to hit things and, and destroy things. And this happened recently. And so in those moments, what do you do? You go to a friend... And, and let's pray about this. And in this season of prayer, something occurred to him. This is just weird. It's very unusual. And, and following the example of Jesus, said maybe there's some, I should name this, is this a demonic influence in my life? And so in a prayer of confession and praying, named it. And again, this young man reported, something happened to me. Something, something changed. Both of these guys are Christians. These are believers. You'd know them if I said their names. I'm not making this up. Something happened and changed within me. A freedom came over me and a peace. Third example a young woman recently found herself struggling with depression, and she thought a few days away would be good. Just get away from everything, just calm, get settled, regain footing. Um, that didn't work. The going away for a couple days actually blew up and made everything intensely worse. And so her husband, realizing that there was this incredible emotional battle going on and seeing this downward spiral, called some friends to come and pray for this lady. And they all prayed. And in that prayer, it became obvious that perhaps there was a demonic activity going on and some sort of demonic influence. And so again, following this example, let's have confession. Let's name it out loud. All of these instances, say it out loud, and that confession and, and prayer then led to a sense of release and peace and deliverance. And so I think the whole reason I'm preaching on this today is because there are some of you in this room who, who need the work of the Holy Spirit. These are not possession. This is not a sense of which I'm overpowered by demons and I have no will of my own. That's no, not what I'm talking about. These are strongholds that the Satan has had in lives from whatever means, I'm not going to speculate, but it is very real in the sense of Christ came to deliver and to set free. So yes, there are real demonic activities and there are struggles that we face and we need to be alert to this fact. Second, demons can attack and plague Christians. When we have patterns of sin in our lives, we put ourselves into a place of compromise. We're weak. We are exposed and, and, and under Satan's attack. And so this can happen to us. Satan can have strongholds in the lives of a believer. Third, deliverance is possible through the name of Jesus. Freedom is possible in the name of Jesus. And I'm, I want to ask you, are you thinking about something in your own life from which you need to, to pray and seek deliverance? If, if not, I'm asking you to really think about this. Sit with the Lord and say, is there any place I have given ground to the enemy in my life? If so, we need to pray about it and confess it and ask for the all-authoritative Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come and grant deliverance. And I believe this so strongly that I sent out an email this week to about 23 people, and I said, I want you to be ready at the end of the service to go throughout the sanctuary in pairs in order to be available for people to pray for you. Because if it's true, as we have been praying for months, Lord, let your kingdom come. He's coming. And when the king comes, darkness has to flee. And so when light shines in, darkness gets pushed out. And folks, we, some of us, have become way too comfortable with the darkness in our lives. And we need to renounce, like in baptism, I renounce Satan and all evil. And, and, and Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, help me pursue righteousness. We need to turn away from sin and to righteousness. So in a moment, I am going to ask those 20 or so people to stand and go into places all around this sanctuary and be available for prayer. I'm I'm not trying to work up hysteria. I'm not trying to cause an emotional response. I'm trying to tell you that the name of Jesus will set you free if you think you have some stronghold from the enemy in your life, and and you might, and you might not know it. In the same way that Peter says, Jesus, not going to happen. We'll take care of you. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He might be present where you might not think. So I have been praying this week. I'm going to pray it in just a moment. Lord, if there is something anybody listening to my voice needs to be aware of, would you bring it to mine? Maybe he already has. And if so, then would you go to some of these pairs of people who are going to be around this sanctuary for prayer and pray, let the kingdom come. Because through Jesus and his authority, Satan has to flee. And if we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, he will flee. And I tell you, submission to Jesus is much sweeter than slavery to sin. Much sweeter. There's no better master than the Lord Jesus. So would you pray with me, please? And I'm going to ask those of you who I ask in advance to be ready to pray, would you please just go to some open space in the sanctuary? Make yourselves available. Worship team can just stay seated for just a moment. I'm just going to pray. When I finish praying, then the worship team is going to come. And I'm going to invite you uh, during the song, if you need someone to pray for you, just go. Go to somebody standing around the sanctuary. But I'm going to pray. And and then we're going to sing, and during the song, if you need prayer, go to these people. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess you are the King. You are the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And I know your kingdom coming among us brings blessing. And I know we have been praying for your kingdom to come and, and the coming of your kingdom brings goodness. It brings light. It brings freedom and drives out the enemy. And Father, I pray, shine the light of your goodness and your glory and your blessing into the hearts of your people and reveal right now if there is any sense in which we need to pray against the stronghold of an enemy. If habits of sin need to be broken then Lord Jesus, would you through your spirit break them this morning and grant freedom and grant deliverance so that we can walk in the light and experience the sweetest communion with you that we know. Let your children rejoice in your power and your authority, Lord Jesus. We are trusting in you. Our faith is in you and our eyes are on you. And we pray all of this knowing that with you, Lord Jesus, all things are possible. All things are possible. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.